probably have had an experience like that before where you've walked into a situation and something unexpected happened that kind of left you shaken or questioning. Me and my wife, Jessica, we had such an experience about seven years ago. My brother, he played high school football, and in between his junior and senior year, the summer in between it, he went around to a number of college football camps to kind of do the camp and get his name out there. And so me and my family were big Penn State fans, okay? And we uh, watched Penn State. We've loved Penn State since I uh, was a little one. And my brother went out to a Penn State football camp about seven years ago in the summer. And so the whole family had to go support Aaron and go see Penn State, right? And so it's like we had to be out there. We had to go see it. We had to go do it. And so my parents and my sister took him out about a few days before the camp started, and me and Jess were going to come later. So they get out there. They're sending pictures. They're all excited. Me and Jess start to kind of traverse across the Ohio and Pennsylvania land, and we took the turnpike. You take the fastest route that you can. But what's interesting is the car that we took, because the car we took, I, I grew up and we, we had beater cars, right? We used cars we'd buy. And so my high school car, it broke down. We had to get rid of my high school car about a year into marriage. It's just, just sad. You're like, oh, all the experiences, right? And so we had to buy a new car. And the new car to me was something that had low mileage and low cost. And there was a guy at the Norton campus we were attending, and he was selling his car. And it was a 93 Oldsmobile with 40,000 miles on it. And I was like, oh boy, I'll be driving this till I'm 93, and it's going to be a good old day, right? So I bought it off of him. The thing was a tank. It was beautiful, the engine, the whole thing. It was awesome. I put bumper stickers on the back. It played the part. It was amazing, right? We took it to the mechanics about a week before this trip, said it checked out. It was all fine. Just some things that we'll need to check into the next time you're here. So we went off, 93 Oldsmobile, just like in all the movies, right? Off into the sunset, we're traveling to Pennsylvania on the turnpike, and as we're going, we hit kind of a bend, a bend that we later found out kind of goes down and then comes up and then back around, and as we turn around the bend or come around the bend, we notice that there's cars backed up. There's something happening up there that's stopping traffic. And so all of a sudden, right, what clicks into my mind is break, break, break. And so I hit the break once, I come off, and then I hit it again the second time it went to the floor. We're going about 75 miles per hour. There are cars in front of us, a median, and then the incoming traffic. And at this point, you don't do any thinking. You just kind of do something, and that's what I did. So I pulled us into the median. Not sure why, but that was the only space that felt safe, right? And we're flying in the grass at about 70 miles per hour, and eventually a decision comes our way. Not really sure if it was a decision or we just had to see what played out, but a decision came our way where there was a bridge and the highway came over a road, and so there were three decisions I had. I could either keep riding the median and go off onto the other road, and probably bad things happen, right? Or I could pull into the incoming traffic, bad things would happen there. Or there was the saving grace, is how I saw it, the bridge wall, the little wall that's there, and we aimed for that. And by the grace of God, that tank of a 93-year-old hit that uh, wall and stopped dead in its tracks, right? 
and we got out of the car, and we were fine. It was crazy. There was a wreck ahead of us, and so there was already firefighters and police there, and they just came and said, are you okay, right? But here's the thing. That kind of experience is jarring. That kind of experience, you walk out of the car, and you're like, what is, what is happening right now, right? You question a lot of things. People were asking us if we're, okay, if we're okay. My Panera Bread is all over the car now, right? All sorts of things are happening. And I remember thinking as not just that day progressed, but days and weeks progressed, I started to process things, and I started to question things, and I started to wonder things, and then I started to hop back into cars, and that's a jarring experience. So after something like this, it leaves you wondering, well, what about the brakes this time? What about the car this time? What about the traffic this time? What about this this time? And here's the reality. We're walking into a conversation that we're just simply calling what about. And inside of this conversation, we're going to talk about some hard things. We're going to talk about topics that kind of we wrestle with and we struggle with. And I don't want to minimize the reality that for some of us, we've had life experiences like this. Yeah, maybe you've, you've been in a wreck before, but I mean like just life has hit you. And you felt like this. And you felt like, I don't know where to go from here. I'm not sure what to do. My life is a wreck, figuratively or literally. And what it's done is it's produced observations and questions. And so you're asking, what about my life now? Or what about others? Do they care about me? What about God? What does that have to do with my life? And we're going to walk into this conversation, and my hope is this, as we talk about the whatabouts, that we would do it in a way that points each other to Jesus. Because if you miss anything else from today, I want you to hear this. That in our whatabouts, Jesus keeps inviting us in. That the whatabouts don't scare Jesus away. That he wants to invite us into a journey of processing and questioning with him. Like I said, we're in this series called What About and we're going to look at four things, the four main reasons that people say doubts are created in their mind about Christianity and Jesus. We're going to look at exclusivity, we're going to look at hypocrisy, we're going to look at science, we're going to look at suffering. Those are the top four when a study was found and answered top four answers when people were asked, what create the most doubt in you about Christianity? We're just going to wrestle with them. Here's my promise. I'm going to start conversations, but I probably won't answer all your questions, okay? I'll probably start a lot of conversations. I probably won't have a lot of answers, but that's the beauty of a conversation like this, is that I think these kind of conversations are best done in community, which we'll get to, and best done around the truth of God's word, and that's the desire inside of this. Today, what I want to do is I just want to introduce very basically where we're going and kind of the, the foundation of these conversations. Because I believe inside of this conversation, two things we have to hold on to. First is tone. Second is truth. We need to have a compassionate tone and a courageous truth. It's not on the screen, but I'd write it down. We need to have a compassionate tone in a courageous truth. 
And in this conversation, I'm going to keep resurfacing this question. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? In a compassionate tone and with courageous truth. Like I said, after the car wreck experience, it left me um, a little bit uh, shaky behind the wheel. Let's just say that, right? You get in a wreck going 75 miles per hour that probably shouldn't have ended the way that it ended, and all of a sudden jumping back into a car makes you think about different things or process different things or wonder about different things. And I remember one experience in particular. I was in the car with someone else, and after the wreck, I I started to learn uh, I felt comfortable pumping the brakes, right? I felt more comfortable pumping the brakes. So if I pump them, pump them, pump them, I'll probably know if they're going to go out instead of slamming on them, right? And so I was in the car with someone, and I was pumping the brakes, pumping the brakes to slow down somewhere. And they looked at me and said, why are you pumping your brakes, right? Why are you pumping? It's like stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, right? And they had no context for the experience that I had gone through, right? They had no understanding for what I had walked through or what I experienced. They weren't there. They didn't know. They they weren't sure why. The reality is this. For some of us, we sit here, and that's been our experience. Where we've been like, why are you like this? And why are you doing this? And why do you believe this? I want you to know we're going to run into this with compassion in tone and courage and truth. And the first thing, compassion, we have to have inside of a conversation like this. We have to have compassion to run into a conversation like this. And something to note about compassion, compassion is not a superiority, but an understanding. I think sometimes I can think of compassion as like, oh, look at them, they don't know as much, or oh, look at them, they're struggling more than me, or oh, look at them, they, they're not really sure what's going on, I have to help them. Compassion is not that. Compassion is understanding where someone is at and then leading them to where they need to go. There's a guy by the name of Matt Smethurst, he writes a book, Before You Share Your Faith, he says this, we must take care to lean in and listen well, to climb into the other person's way of seeing in inhabiting the world. That what if we took on inside of this conversation, and you'll see it'll flow into application here, but what if we took on the ability to inhabit into someone's life, to see what they're walking through, see what they're navigating, see what they're going through? You and I, when we walk up to people, we do not know the extent of the hurt and pain and experiences that they are walking through and vice versa. We get a chance by being loved by Jesus to jump into someone else's shoes, per se, and lean in and listen. The tone of compassion is so important for that. It's so important to understand where someone's coming from, but listen, there's a second thing. It's so important because the claims of following Jesus and Christianity are so unprecedented and scandalous that people, when they hear about Jesus, we'll sometimes be like, what are you talking about? That we also have to have compassion, and we'll get to this later, in a cultural moment that is not foundationally built on Christianity, the Bible, and Jesus, that there are going to be people that you run into and share Jesus with or interact with, that you want to share your faith with, that won't understand why you would want to follow a guy who died on a cross and then supposedly rose again and went up to heaven to be with his father. 
This is what Mark Clark, he's an author and pastor, writes. Christianity is such a scandal. The claims are unprecedented. No one's worldview was set up to say or believe what the early church professed. And I would say that has played out throughout history and even now. That compassion comes in empathizing and sitting in someone's story and life. And it also comes by empathizing and understanding that their beliefs may not give to them right away understanding why we would believe what we believe. And if you're sitting in the room right now and you're like, I'm one of those people, I'm not sure what I believe. You need to know you're welcome here. You don't have to agree with everything we say to come here and be a part of what is going on. But on top of that, second, we need to have a courage, a courageous truth. Here's a paradox that's happening in our world right now, is that inside of our world at large, Christianity is growing. So by 2060, it's estimated to say that two-thirds of the world would identify as Christian. The paradox comes in this, that in our country, we are becoming more post-Christian. This is interesting. That at the same time as Christianity, maybe in other countries, other parts of the world, are taking a hold of people's lives inside of our own country, we would be trending towards a post-Christian culture, which we'll talk about more. But here's what you need to know about a post-Christian culture in simple definition's sake. A post-Christian culture, which is not just a group of people or a set of people, it's all of us, will struggle with this at times. We want the fruits of Christianity without the cost of Christianity. We want the fruits of Christianity, love, joy, peace. We want uh, comforts and all the things that come with that without the cost of laying down our lives, without the cost of laying down our sin or recognizing we need a savior, right? But here's what this tells me. That inside of our cultural moment right now and inside of the opportunity we have, people want to know more. That even though we're going into a post-Christian kind of culture and phase, spirituality and interest in spiritual things is at an all-time high. People are trying to navigate what they believe and what they're about. And so there are plenty of opportunities to have conversations inside of this moment that we cannot miss and we cannot just push to the side. And those conversations, I think, come best in one way. There's probably multiple ways we could have them, but I think it comes best in one way. There's a guy, a pastor, a former pastor who passed away just this year, Tim Keller. He writes a book and does a podcast called How to Reach the West Again, which we would sit kind of in the Western culture. How to Reach the West Again. And he would say this, we are not going to reach people by doing more events, new programs, having new teaching classes, having more movies or CDs. This is what he says. This is how we're going to reach people moving forward. Go talk to people. Which I wish I could just claim that quote because it's so simple and yet powerful at the same time. Those things aren't bad. Events, programs, all that stuff's not bad. How are we going to reach people? How are we going to interact with people? How are we going to do it with a compassionate tone and a courageous truth? We got to go talk to people. We got to talk to our neighbors. Got to talk to our coworkers. We got to talk to our fellow students in school. We got to talk to our family members. We got to talk to our friends. We got to have conversations. Are they always, always going to end out, end up the way I want them to? No, they're not. That's not the point. Point is, Jesus came for us, so we 
get to go and share with others. So in this conversation, I want to make sure of this, that this is a conversation. If I'm challenging you to go talk to people, I want this to be a conversation. You might be like, how's that supposed to happen? You have the mic, we have the note cards, right? Well, my invitation to you is this, is that you would come up to me after service. You would text me, email me during the week. We have set up multiple ways to host this conversation and hear from you all. So there's three things I am inviting you to do throughout. Series guide first is this. In the back, there's a series guide. We'd love for you to pick one up. Our series guide team did a phenomenal job of building resources, connecting uh, our conversation on Sunday through a weekly devotional throughout the week. So we'd love for you to jump into that. Secondly, you'll see it back there, but you'll also see it on our website. We have a what about resource page on our website. You can go there, gives you a page full of resources, websites, books, podcasts. And then at the bottom, don't miss this, we put a little section where if you have questions or you are wrestling with some sort of conversation where you can write your name and email and write it there and it'll get sent directly to me where we can start to process that conversation with you or maybe process that question with you. And then lastly is this. If you are invested here, you call Grace Church your home, you're following Jesus, my challenge over the course of the next month for you is to set up a time to talk with an individual or a family in your circle that maybe believes differently than you believe or maybe doesn't know what they believe. Set up a time to have them over and have a conversation. Make this conversation not just something we talk about on Sunday, but a reality of the day-to-day as you walk through life. That is my invitation. There's the application before the information, right? So if nothing else, that you would write those down, that you would start to process that. But today, today, I just want to introduce to you this conversation, and it's going to feel incomplete, okay? It'll feel incomplete. You'll feel like, I, I don't know if we went through it all or there's dots missing. That is supposed to feel that way, okay? I'm not going to jump into any of the topics over the next, uh, over the next four weeks we're going to do that. Today, I just want to set up the conversation, Because I know for all of us, we come in with questions and conversations and doubts maybe, or we're wrestling with these conversations, and we're like, how do we set this up? Where do we go from here? What do we need to know about that? And I wanted to start here because you need to know how we're going to run into this conversation and how we're going to navigate it and how we're going to point back to Jesus in the process. So the first question that maybe some of you have inside of this conversation is, what if I have doubts? Yeah, what if I'm the what about person, right? What about this? What about that? I'm the skeptic or I'm the, I can see both sides, right? What about doubts? And this is what I would say. Doubts are normal, but so is faith. Doubts are normal, but so is faith. Doubts assume that you and I live a life of faith. Doubts assume that you and I live life leaning the ladder of life onto something to hold us up and to believe in and to trust and to run to. And what I love about scripture, what I love about the Bible, which we're going to look at a lot throughout this series, is scripture does not fear talking about doubts or people that had doubts. And one of those stories comes in John 20. 
If you turn to John, John 20 or look on the screen, this is what is happening. Jesus just died on the cross, and then his disciples are hearing that he rose from the dead, but most of them have not seen him yet. And so this scene comes after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, the disciples are together. Now Thomas, one of the disciples, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Come on, Thomas. Well, what was more important, man? What are you doing? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What does this tell me? Doubts are okay. And you may have them. You might be here and you're like, I'm just riddled with doubts. I don't know if I believe Jesus, church, I'm not sure. It's okay. But you might also be here. Doubts. Part of church, you've been a part of a faith community, you've been following Jesus, and you're like, I have doubts. That's okay also. Because the reality is this, scripture does not skirt past those with doubts, Thomas being one of them. But you can look at a number of individuals and characters that questioned God and maybe had questions about him, Job being one in particular, Moses, Saul who became Paul. There are a number of characters in Scripture that ask God about things, that question, that processed with God, and maybe even maybe had doubts. And if you're here with doubts... That's okay. If you're here and wondering, where do I fit in? It's here. Because we all have doubts. I have doubts. My personality, the title for it, is called the skeptic. I just am littered with doubts, apparently, right? And what we get to do is we get to process that together. But here's what's fascinating. The story doesn't end. John 20 continues. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas was with the disciples that whole week, just anticipating Jesus to come, right? He's finally with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Continues, Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's what's beautiful about this. Jesus does not dismiss, skirt past, or push aside Thomas inside of his doubts. Instead, he embraces Thomas in his doubts. What Jesus wants more than anything inside of your questions and doubts is not to push you away or for you to run further from him, but he wants to invite you in closer because he wants more than anything for you to process with him what doubts and questions you may have about life and what's going on. That's the beauty about Jesus. My fear is this, is just by human nature, and maybe the church has done some harm in this way, is that we believe we have to have it all together to live life sometimes. We believe that we have to have it all figured out. We have to have the answer. We have to have the, the, the thing, the, the right decision all the time. And our doubts, maybe we fear, keep us from following Jesus. Or what do I do with that? Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to come in. I want to embrace you. I want, to, I want you to run into me inside of your doubts. Because this is what the writer Hebrews says faith is. And 
Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. That inside of our doubts, Jesus invites us in. And faith doesn't mean that I have it all put together, I know everything, or that I've got everything, but it is simply running into Jesus with my doubts. And as I run into Jesus with my doubts, my questions, my life, I start to see a certainty in what we hope for and long for, an assurance of what I can't see, that all of a sudden the things inside of me start to pop because all of us have a longing to be loved and cared about in eternity. There's something there. And faith is not void of doubts, but rather it is the pressing into Jesus with my doubts that invite me in. I remember when I was a little kid and we went to learning to swim, our indoor water park for a weekend with my parents and my siblings and I was learning to swim. The little like floaty devices, right? And they were swimming around with me and all that good stuff. And I remember I was on the, the deck of the pool ready to get in. My dad already jumped in and he was standing there in the water, right? The three foot or four foot water right there. And he looked at me, he said, Joel, jump in. I was like, mm-mm, never jumped in before, not going to jump now. Do you see the water? Do you see how high it is? Do you see all the scariness that's around it, right? No. He's like, Joel, trust me, jump in. It's like, mm-mm, I'm too nervous, too scared. I'm not so sure. I'm not, uh, I'm not so sure. He did it again. Joel, jump in. Eventually, I jumped in, and I listened and trusted my father. Faith works the same way. Jesus is standing in the pool figuratively, and in the midst of our doubts and our questions and our processing, he's not saying, get away from me, I can't believe you. What he's saying is, jump in, because the safest space is with me. The safest place to process is with me. The questions you have, yeah, I may not give you all the answers the way that you want them and in the timing that you want them. But I'm going to invite you into my grace and my mercy and I'm going to walk with you in this. And for some of us, this conversation just ends there. That is the application for today for you is not make some big decision or I have to have it all figured out or I need to do all of this, but rather it's looking at your Father and Savior and jumping in for maybe the first time or maybe for the 300th time. Do you have that all figured out? No, you don't. But he keeps inviting you. Oswald Chambers, he says this, Always make it a practice to stir your own mind thoroughly, to think through what you have easily believed. Your position is not really yours until you make it yours through suffering and study. And yet here's what's beautiful is Jesus is in that. Jesus is inviting us into that. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. Does it make sense sometimes? No. And yet if you want to grab a hold of what you believe, it's not running away from him, but running into him and running into him. And sometimes it'll be hard and sometimes it won't make sense. So if you are one of the many of people in here, including myself, that maybe have doubts or are a skeptic, would you jump in with us over the next four weeks? 
jump in with Jesus beyond that. Second question, what about doubts? Maybe some of you are asking, well, what about the Bible, right? We sit at a church. We're going to talk about all these things. I presume we're going to be looking at the Bible. You would be accurate, right? We're going to look at a lot of the Bible. But what do we have to do with that? Where do we stand on that? What's that look like? This is what I would write down. Inside of this conversation, we need to exegete Scripture and exegete our society at the same time. Exegete Scripture and exegete society at the same time. That word exegete, okay, uh, most literally means to pull out of, not put into, okay? And, and I'm not going to get into the weeds of the Bible and all the different historical things of it today. I don't have time to. But when you exegete Scripture, you are looking at the context, the plot, the characters, the overarching story of God, and then you are pulling out of that application from that verse or that pin on this verse. I pull it out, and I look at it and say, this is what I want it to mean for my life. Exegesis is what does that mean inside of the context it's in? And that's the hope with these settings that we are exegeting Scripture, but also in your study settings that you're exegeting scripture and it's really important to do that but i would say this don't just stop at verses look at the story one of my biggest fear is that we can just look at verses and pull them out like chicken soup for the soul like that's my verse and i love it and it's great but sometimes we can miss what that verse actually means and the direction it gives into our life because we haven't seen the story of God playing out and how it gives direction to that verse. One of the resources we have online is called The Bible Project. They have a series where they go through every book of the Bible and they tell you how that book of the Bible plays into the entire story of God, in particular Jesus. I challenge you, go online, look it, look it up. There's videos. It's really easy to watch. But we need to exegete scripture in not just verses, but in the story. Because we see in 2 Peter, we see Peter starting to write about scripture. He says this in chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Scripture, we believe, by faith, is God's word that was written out by human beings, over 40 human beings, different human beings, over a course of 1,500 years, one cohesive story. We're going to look at that through the next four weeks, but we also have to exegete society. We have to exegete society because we live in a society and in a world and in a culture that is post-Christian. The Christendom culture is not the foundation of our time and day, and that has ebbed and flowed over history. It's not like this is the first time. And inside of that, we need to know how to look upon culture and society and see what is true and what is not, what is healthy and what is not. And here's not what I'm saying because I think sometimes we can do this unintentionally or maybe intentionally, that we look at society and we look at culture and point out all the things that they're doing wrong, being judgmental. Exegeting society actually looks more like asking questions and listening well and then loving out of that. It's the tone. But here's what's important is you got to mash the two. You have to understand the truth of the gospel and God's word to be able to accurately exegete society. And when you accurately exegete society, you're able to come back to Scripture with people and share with them the truth of God's Word. 
And it all is based in the foundation of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to a church in Galatians who have kind of veered away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They bought into other gospels. And this is what uh, Paul says to the church. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here's the reality. It is so easy to get fooled into believing another gospel. It's so easy to believe what the world has for us, what society has for us, is the thing. Here's how you can know the truth between the real gospel of Jesus Christ and a fake gospel. The gospel that plays to my desires is a fake gospel. The gospel that plays to the desire of God is the real gospel centered around that just plays to my wishes and my desires and my wants. What Paul is warning them here is, you need to know the truth of the gospel so that you can know the lies that will be flooding you. So, doubts are normal, so is faith. Exegete scripture and exegete our society. What about questions I have? I have questions. I'm not sure how to process them. I'm not sure where to go with them. This is what I would say. Question in community to seek clarity. Question in community to seek clarity. I, I get in trouble in two ways, okay? You find yourself in, in this equation maybe too, but this is where I sit. A lot of times I can process my questions or my worries or my doubts inside of a vacuum where it's just my head. I, I have an interaction with someone or I have this thing happen and I just sit here in my head and I process, process, process. And then it just gets bigger than life, right? Then all of a sudden what I'm processing wasn't really reality. It was something crazier than that and I'm responding to that, right? My wife has to pull me out of it, and I'm like, Jess, this is what they said. She's like, it wasn't as bad as you're making it, right? So I can process in a vacuum. But I also can process in community solely for acceptance and affirmation. That's just as scary. Because I have expectations that what I say and what I'm doubting or what I assume is what people are going to tell me is right. And when they don't, then I'm a little bit thrown off. And here's the reality. I think it's healthy to doubt our doubts in community. I think it's healthy to doubt our doubts in community to seek clarity. That ultimately here at Grace Church, we would say the pinnacle of clarity is found in Jesus Christ and the good news of his death, his life, death, and resurrection. That is the pinnacle of clarity and ultimately running into that. So we need safe and spirit-led spaces to be able to process that where compassionate tone and courageous truth are found. So a little bit of a plug, and then I'm going to close. This is why we value life groups so much. Life groups are not a social club. They're not just some extra setting. They are small group communities that we hope people can come and process questions and doubts. Last year, the majority of my life group time was around questions and doubts. And we would just get into it. We'd read something, and then someone started asking questions. I'm like, that's a good question. That's a good question. Why does anybody have answers? Because I don't have all the answers, right? We just process, what does it look like to follow Jesus and ask these questions? Then we'd go to eat nachos afterwards. Everybody's fine after that, right? 
But we'd invite you to think about life groups because in those, you build relationships and our goal is to share Jesus. As messy as it is, as, as questioning as there might be, that's our goal inside of it. But here's what's also interesting is I don't believe we just need that, but our community needs that. Our community, let me just say it with, with the number we used last week, the 16,000 people who are religiously unaffiliated in Barberton right now who we've considered lost need a community to process questions in. That's really important. That is why we do what we do with outreach. You'll notice we don't do a ton of events, but rather we run into spaces. What we say is we wanna make community spaces Jesus spaces because we want to build relationships and share Jesus in those spaces where people can feel comfortable and safe to ask questions and have doubts and process that in a community that maybe they've never experienced before, a Jesus community where they can be free and understand they're loved and wanna run into that with. We want to process questions to see. As I close, some of us sit in here and our stories trend more towards doubts, defeat, disillusionment, struggles, who are disgruntled with someone or something because of experiences I've had or hurts or pains that I've had. And you need to know you're welcome here. But I believe Jesus in Matthew 11, gives us one of the most gracious invitations as we process this. This is what Jesus has to say in Matthew 11, if you look at the next slide. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us into rest. Does he invite us into answering all of our questions? No, sometimes I wish. See, invite us into a space of you're never going to doubt again. No, you're never going to question again. No, you're never going to struggle again. No, but he invites us to rest in him, which is the step of faith he invites us into at every part of the journey. To rest in him with our doubts and our processing and our questions. And if you're here and you're like, I don't even know where to start, I'm not sure what to do, you need to know this, that there is a God who created the universe and created you and he loved you so dearly. And something got in the way of a relationship with him and we call that sin, separates us. Sin is something we're all born with and we all struggle with and it is a natural outpouring of our life and needs to be defeated. But you and I can't do that on our own. So God sent his only son, Jesus. Father sent his only son, Jesus, not to come and destroy us, but to come and save us. Jesus put on skin, lived a human life, went into the mess, went into the junk, went into people's lives with a compassionate tone and courageous truth, and then went to the cross where he died the death that you and I deserved. Three days later, he rose again. And what I love about John 20, he says to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Faith is such as that. And he's inviting you. Maybe today you don't jump in fully by saying yes to Jesus. 
giving your life to him, but what if you said, yes, Jesus, I'll keep coming back and having this conversation? Or maybe for some of you, it's, yes, Jesus, I'm going to go to a life group because I want to know more and do this in a community. Maybe for some of you, it's, yes, Jesus, I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to reach out to someone. What if it starts there? So worship team comes up. If you're here and you call Grace Church your home and you are following Jesus, you've invested your life, you're in. My encouragement would be threefold based on a passage that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And he writes as he's sitting in prison, as he's navigating the turbulence of his own situation. In Colossians 4, he writes this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation give to everyone. There's three questions I have. As you think about that one person or that one family that you would want to invite into your space, your house, out to eat, to have a conversation, the first question I would ask is this. Are you devoted to prayer? Don't run into this in and of yourself and in and of your own energy. Are you devoted to praying for them before you invite them in? Praying for open doors, praying for a clear message, praying for grace and peace inside of the conversation, all the things that Paul was praying about. Start praying, if not. Second thing is, are you devoted to loving the lost? In the book, Before You Share Your Faith by Matt Smethurst, which is on that resource page, it's like six bucks and it's like 100 pages. If any of them, grab that one because it's easy to read. He argues that we don't share our faith not because we're scared first and foremost. Yeah, there's fear in it. There's intimidation in it. Yes, but he would argue that we don't share our faith because our love for the lost is not strong enough. That we're not loving like Christ loved us first. <clears throat> and that got me. Because when I look at my neighborhood, look at my city, look at my family, look at my friends that don't know Jesus, do I actually love them enough to pursue them? Or am I using excuses to back away from them? Francis Schaeffer would say this, Love on display in the church is Jesus' final apologetic to the world. If nothing else, if nothing else, we'll give some answers maybe, we'll have conversation, we'll run into questions, we'll look at Bible verses and stories, we'll wrestle with these hard topics, but if we don't do it in love, it's all to waste. You have all the answers in the world, you don't do it in love in a compassionate tone, the apologetic to the world will be hate, not love. We get to be invited into that. And then lastly, I would say, am I devoted to the gospel? Am I devoted to the gospel? If you want to share truth, you have to know truth. Be devoted to the gospel in scripture and in the Bible. One of the easiest ways you can do that is picking out what I call gospel passages. Passages that share the gospel straightforward. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Galatians has a number of them, Titus 3, 3 through 8, throughout the Gospels, Isaiah 53, Romans 8, Romans 3, you start reading passages like that, meditating and memorizing them, the gospel starts to pop, and then you'll be able to interact with others, be able to share the truth. Father, we thank you for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for allowing us to open up space for the gospel to be shared, for the gospel to be heard. But Father, we know that you're working in more than just this space. Father, we know that your spirit is hovering over this place and hovering over the entire world and universe. And we praise you first for your presence here, your patience with us and your power and your invitation towards us. So Father, would you just lavish us with your grace and what we need to pursue? Father, would you break our hearts for the lost? Would you transform our hearts to see how to interact with these conversations in the process? Would you go before us and send us into who you want us to impact? I pray that you would allow us to see the gospel throughout this whole journey. I pray this in your name. Amen.